Hey there, and welcome back to Bibliography. It's a podcast for people who love a good to-be-read list. I'm David Kern here at Goldberry Books in Concord, North Carolina, and this is a conversation show about the way books make our lives richer. I'm a big fan of this week's guest. Austin Cleon has steadily built up a loyal and hungry following of creative types, book lovers, and all-around enthusiasts, in large part because he himself is such an enthusiastic guy. When you read his newsletter, for example, or you follow him on Twitter, or you just, I don't know, dig into one of his books on the creative process, you are guaranteed to be downright bombarded with joy and enthusiasm for the things he loves. And, you know, in an age when hate-watching and doom-scrolling and all kinds of other negative-oriented interactions are, well, the rage, love of something goes a long, long way. Cleon is the New York Times best-selling author of a trilogy of illustrated books about creativity in the digital age. They're called Steal Like an Artist, Show Your Work, and Keep Going. He's also the author of Newspaper Blackout, a collection of poems made by redacting the newspaper with a permanent marker. His books have been translated into dozens of languages and have sold over a million copies worldwide. He's been featured on NPR's Morning Edition, PBS NewsHour, and in the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. New York Magazine called his work brilliant, The Atlantic called him positively one of the most interesting people on the internet, and The New Yorker said his poems resurrect the newspaper when everybody else is declaring it dead. He's spoken for organizations like Pixar, Google, South by Southwest, TED, and The Economist. And in previous lives, he worked as a librarian, a web designer, and an advertising copywriter. Today, he lives in Austin, Texas with his wife and his sons. And his lively newsletter can be found at austincleon.substack.com. Steal Like an Artist is something of a classic at this point among people who love to think about the creative process and who are constantly on the lookout for inspiration. A 10th anniversary edition is out now, and I highly recommend keeping a copy around your desk or whatever creative space you have. You can get it now wherever books are sold. And it was my pleasure to get to chat with Austin recently about the books he loves, as is our custom here on this podcast. So here is my conversation with Austin Cleon. Well, thanks so much for joining me. This is awesome. Been been uh, excited uh, at the opportunity to chat with you for a long time. So thanks for taking the time. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So this is a, it's a podcast called Bibliography. It's out of a bookstore. So, you know, we're going to talk books here. And one of the reasons I love reading you is you have this great enthusiasm for books from just a myriad of genres. You're widely read. You know a lot of people who write books. So I'm really excited about seeing where this conversation takes us. And I don't have any, you know, goals for that. I just want to see what happens. <laughs> Good. Um, Those are the most fun ones. <laughs> exactly. So I do have one question I like to ask people who come on this podcast. Like the first question I want to ask you is this. Do you remember the first time you fell in love with a book? That's a great question. Um, I don't. I, I feel like books were just... They've just been such a part of my life for so hmm. long that I just don't really remember the first love affair. I mean, yeah. maybe Ernie's big mess. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, but you know, like a, like a Sesame street book or something. One of the things that I am really adamant about as people, actually people of any ages is to not, not don't throw out the stuff that you loved when you were younger because you think it's trash. Like I, <laughs> I feel like you really have to honor your formative like reading experiences, even if it was what you think was junk, like, mm. y- you know what I mean? Now, yeah. 
And a big part of my young life, I feel like one of the things I was always doing when I was younger is throwing stuff out, being like, oh, well, that's old. I don't listen to that anymore and like throw it out. And then later I wish I had like kept it around because as you get older, you realize like how all this stuff influences you in ways that you can't when it's like right in front of you. So, but I, you know, I don't, my young reading life was not particularly highbrow. I mean, I just, the one thing I had is like, the, the stories I tell about like my young reading life is like tons of trips to the libraries. I remember getting like one of the things I, one of my vivid memories of the libraries, do you remember how the library used to have these plastic kind of like plastic bags with clips at the top and they'd have these little skinny um, storybooks that came with cassette tapes. Like that's one of my biggest like memories at the library. And like you get like a star Hmm. Wars, there'd be like a little Mm -hmm. star Wars Mm -hmm. book. And then it has a, had a cassette tape. So you like stuck the cassette tape in and like, I haven't thought about this in forever. (laughs) Yeah. So like, that's like one of my, like, this is the stuff I remember not like falling in love with the book as much as like the form and like the smell of the library and like going through the stacks. So I would say as a young person, the library was the primary site of like books in my life. And, and also like the school library, you know, so that, that's a big deal. The other thing that I always tell people is like Walden books at the mall. Like I grew up in the middle of a cornfield. So like when mom and I would go to Columbus for the day, cause I grew up like probably 40 minutes South of Columbus. So in Ohio, so like, when we would go to the mall for the day, my mom would drag me to the shopping mall, like almost every weekend. And she would take me right to Walden books, buy me a new book. And then I would just read that book while she shopped. She just find like a little chair in the department store and sit me there. And I would just read the whole time. And so like, that's where my library came from is like books I had picked at Walden books, like with mom to to get through shopping. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It was literally just, it was her bribe for me (laughs) to like sit and she could, you know, have some time to herself. I mean, now that seems like the most genius parenting move I could possibly think of. You spend 10 bucks on a book and then you've got yeah. your kids. It's, if your kid would actually do it. My yeah, kids are yeah. kind of like that now. Like they're, they're extremely, they read a lot. And, um, but those are the two, like the library and the Walden books at the mall. And then I wrote when my book still like an artist came out, that's the first time I really got to see a lot of the country and hmm. I had always felt close to book people here in Austin. There were two bookstores I felt really close to Max Bax in Cleveland. My wife is from Cleveland. So hmm. we used to live around the corner from Max Bax and saw a bunch of like events there. And so I, I feel really close to that store and then book people here in Austin, of course. Yeah. Um, but I really hadn't been in that many indie stores before that, because it was sort of like the library Walden books and then Amazon, unfortunately, yeah. when I was yeah. in college, because that yeah. was just that was what was cheap. And that's how you could get stuff other than the college bookstore. So yeah. then when I went on book tour, I just discovered all these incredible indie stores. And the thing I've been telling people a lot, because <laughs> people have been asking me, like, well, what's changed in the past 10 years since Steel Like an Artist came out in 2012. And I was like, well, the biggest wonderful surprise is that indie bookstores are like, there's more of them than ever. Mm-hmm. And some of them are doing really well. Like we yeah. have this ecosystem and that has been the biggest joy 
to see yeah. how, cause I remember when I put steel, like an artist out, I was thinking, well, who knows whether bookstore, I mean, will I ever go on book tour again? Who yeah. knows, you know? Yeah. So that's been like the really, and, and, you know, 2010 to 2012, everyone figured the eBooks were going to take off in a way that they sort of haven't really. I mean, they've yeah. kind of like, they, I think they have about a quarter of the market share maybe, but, yeah. but otherwise people still love the book. And I think that's because, uh, and, and this is a very long answer. Sorry about this, <laughs> no, but, you're like, good, but you're good. the codex turns out to be a technology that's just, it's, you know, it does exactly what it's supposed to do, you yeah. know, and, yeah, yeah. and it's been incredibly resilient. So I think like, as my career progresses now, I'm asking myself, like, what can the codex do? Like, what can the technology of the book do that I can keep playing with? You Mm. know, how can I make the technology of the book match my specific interests and the things I like to do? So the 10th anniversary of (laughs) Steal Like an Artist just came out, right? Yeah. When, or, yeah, like just a couple weeks ago, right? Yeah, just, uh, yeah. Like literally just a couple of weeks ago, last month. So when you guys were thinking through how to approach that anniversary of a book that seems like it's been doing pretty well, yeah. how, how did, did you, did, were you like trying to figure out ways you could use that technology as you put it in a new way in this new edition? Or are you thinking more like in terms of as you work on future books? Well, I mean, one of the things I love about Steel Like an Artist is that it really uses the book, the form of the book to work. I mean, it's doing things you know, design wise, it just felt very much like it it was its bookiness, I think is part of what makes it so like has made it last. The fact that it's got these big full page illustrations and then the handwriting at the top and it takes advantage of what we can do in books. Now the, the, with digital technology, I mean, we can, we really could do anything with books, you know, I mean, and that's why I still, when I pick up a book, that's, I'm I'm both sided on this because on the one hand, when you just pick up a book that's typeset, that that also works really well. Typeset with good margins. I mean, that it's doing what it's yeah. supposed to do. But for yeah. me, it's like there's so many design possibilities with books, and so in some ways, like still like an artist, it, it still feels like it's it's a good question. It's like what do you do to update it, really? Yeah. And my yeah. my my opinion was you don't you don't touch it because my big feeling is that the book belongs more to readers now than it does to me. Like I, Hmm. you know, I wrote the thing, but the life it's had has really been because of readers. So we really wanted to honor that. So for me, it was like, let's keep the book the same. Let's dress it up though. Let's give it like a nice, nice embossed hardcover and like a little bookmark or ribbon and like cool end papers. And, and then let's put an afterword at the end. Cause I, there's something about the spirit of steel, like an artist, it comes in real fast. It's almost like a punk record. It just just (laughs) starts hitting really quickly. And I didn't want to mess with that. So that's why I picked the afterword. Cause I was like, okay, well we can say some interesting things at the end and not mess up the flow of the book. That makes sense. Yeah. So we'll see in another 20 years if it's still around what we do, <laughs> what we do with that. I could see it at some point. Now, my other books, like Show Your Work, I might have to over uh, the sequel to Steal Like an Artist. That's one I'd actually like to go at and kind of overhaul. Mm. Like I would like to, you know, kind of I, I think the the big picture stuff in that book is great and I want to keep it, but there's also like 
there's some stuff I'd really like to overhaul. It's also really dated culturally because like I was really inspired by comedians and specifically male comedians uh, when I was doing that book. And there are people in there that I don't want in there anymore. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so I see what you're like, saying. Yeah. So it's, um, so it's been really interesting, like how, yeah. you, you know, cause that book's coming up on 10 years and there were, it's amazing, you know, how much progress the culture makes in 10 years, you know, yeah. and how different everything. And how much you changed too. Yeah, and how much I changed too. I mean, it's yeah. interesting, like, one of the critiques of Steel Like an Artist is that there aren't very many women in it. Um, and by the time I did keep going, I had this secret. I always have a secret sentence for each book. Not a lot of people know this, but I always keep a secret sentence in my head that kind of keeps me on track and, mm. and the secret sentence, and I never tell anyone until the book comes out, the right. secret sentence for keep going was women and children first. So I mm. was very like looking and it's funny because the first in the opening of keep going, there's a poem called overheard on the Titanic. Um, and it says, mm. I mean, yes, we're sinking, but the music is exceptional. <laughs> so, so I, that women and children first thing though, was kind of like, um, for me, it was like, I was trying to really, cause I wasn't by that point when I wrote, keep going, I think women were my primary, I was looking specifically, I mean, I, I have a list of, I was looking primarily at, at, at women artists, but also mother artists because, hmm. you know, my kids were probably, let's see, 2018 or 2017 when I wrote that my kids were like my oldest kid was five and my youngest okay. was three. Yeah, so yeah. like I was thinking a lot about how do you make a life with kids and yeah. art. And yeah. so it was really mothers who were artists that were speaking to me the most. And then there, there's stuff about my kids in the book too. So it, <laughs> it is fascinating how you progress as a, and change as a, as a writer over time. And and that's really the hope. The hope is that the books get deeper and more diverse and more, yeah. you know, wide ranging as, as do you, you know, but there's also this very interesting thing where I couldn't, I tell people now that I couldn't write steel like an artist now. And they look at me like, what do you mean? Like, wouldn't you do it better now? And I'm like, no, because Steel Like an Artist was written by a 27-year-old who was very certain about what he was talking about. And there's a very punk rock, clear, powerful energy to someone that age who knows, who thinks they know what they're doing. Yeah. And it's this kind of amateur spirit that, that isn't super deep, but it's very powerful. And so it's like... I, I think, you know, for me, I'm really glad that person wrote that book at that particular time, because now I very much love to sort of huff that energy or those things <laughs> or whatever that come off that book now, because I just am so, you know, you're a dad. I'm, I'm so tired now. And I'm so like, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. worn out and I see feel so beat up. And so when I, yeah. I when I meet that younger version of myself, uh, it, it's very invigorating. Mm, that's interesting. <laughs> you were talking a minute ago about like what the form of, of books can do. Mm -hmm. And you said it's, it's great. You know, when a book is laid out in like a, in a really nice artful way, the margins are good. The typeface is good. All that kind of stuff. That That's a good thing. But are there any books out there or, or even what would you like to see done 
more often in that form? Like, oh, as yeah. you've been thinking about it, or anything that you would, you know, love and love to see whether it's novels or nonfiction or whatever it is. I mean, like, what what are you looking for? A while back, I forget which Jeopardy winner it was, but this Jeopardy winner was doing an interview, and they were like, "How do you bone up on like?" how do you get all this broad knowledge about different things? And he was like, I go to the children's section. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> I go to the children's section and I just read books written for kids because they're so clear and straightforward. And they usually cover the topic like, like really well. And after I heard that, I thought, Oh my God, I'm going to start reading my kids books. Like I'm going to start reading books that my kids read, but also like stuff I've gotten from them. And of course I've been reading that the whole time because I've been reading to them, but like kids books really, especially picture books, find a way to really use the book in all sorts of interesting ways. So, you know, I really look to inspiration to kids books, which might surprise some people. I always think of my books as like picture books for adults in a a weird way Um, or all ages picture books because adult has weird connotations uh, when you're talking (laughs) about books. Someone like Linda Berry, I think what Drawn and Quarterly does with Linda Berry's books is just next level incredible. Now, I also think that those books tend to, they can scare off some readers Mm. uh, because they're so wild and collage-like. But that to me is really the peak. I love looking at like drawn and quarterly books. I I also think their comics in general, the way their books are done are just, they're just so beautiful. And, and I, I am incredibly inspired by comics. I think that Mm. comics is a medium that really takes advantage of the book in a really good way too. Um, So that kind of thing. Um, But I'm also interested in technically just using the form of the book where it's like a page that you turn using Hmm. that for all sorts of effects. So Richard McGuire's here is a big um, influence on me that way. Um, I loved his original comic. I almost think the comic works better than the actual book. Uh, which is controversial, <laughs> but <laughs> I love that book. Cause I love that it takes advantage of the bookiness to take you through time. And so I've been experimenting. Uh, I haven't really talked about this too much, but I've really wanted to do a timeline book for a while oh, where the first cool. page was like one year and then it ended up at a certain year. And there was a timeline that ran through the middle of the book. And then the page was split up into different either subjects or geographies and use that actual format of turning pages and moving through time and being able to skip back and forth. Yeah. Uh, I've Which always this is something to do... kids books do a great job with. Exactly. Kids yeah. books do this amazingly. And, and even if you think about a flip book, oh, yeah. you, you know, yeah. th- those are the kinds of things I want to do with the book. Um, and you... whether those can be, it's always a matter of like, finding something that's commercial and sort of pushes the edge of, of what you can do, yeah. you know, and, and that, and so that's really the thing and figuring out what you can afford print wise. Yeah. I guess the economics of that, which are you almost never up to the author. Exactly. And I think that's why I've been so lucky with my books to have a huge part of the design process. Like I, and I actually don't think I would ever, agree to doing a book where I didn't have like final cut the way a director does, you know, with (laughs) how it looks. Cause, cause um, usually the way it works is 
like a book designer, I'll take a first stab at it and then I'll just redo it the whole thing. (laughs) I mean, book designers really hate me because they send me the first (laughs) file. And then I, I think on keep going, keep going. They sent me a PDF and I literally chopped the PDF up in Photoshop and resent them a new PDF where I'd moved things around. (laughs) And so they were just like, but now I know designer just the cover. Uh, the whole thing, the whole okay. book. Yeah. I just like redid the whole, but now of course I know how to use InDesign. And so now I'm really dangerous to designers. And now you have opinion, like more than just I have opinion, not just opinions. Skills. I have enough <laughs> skills to be annoying and bad. So yeah. So the steel, like an artist afterward, I actually laid out myself in InDesign, which I was oh, cool. very, uh, that's cool. But then someone went out late. I think one of the designers later, like redid it. But I actually like wrote the afterward in InDesign. Like I knew how many, I knew what the signature oh, yeah. was going to be in the back. So it was going to be 16 pages. So I just used the template from Steal Like an Artist or Keep Going. I forget which book it is. They have the, like the same yeah, yeah, template yeah. basically. So I just wrote the whole thing in InDesign while laying out the pictures. And it was a whole new process. It's probably how I'm going to do my next book because that's cool. It's just, yeah, it unlocked something for me. I thought, well, there's no reason for me to do like a manuscript now when I can just like, I can just do this right in the computer. I can make the illustrations and Mm. and write the text and and lay it out. That's really interesting. Have full kind of creative control in the sense of what's going on on the page. Which, of course, then begs the question of like, well, what do you need a publisher for? Which, which I do because, you know, distribution wise and printing yeah. and all that stuff yeah. and but, editorially. But you should get them to give you an extra two points because they're not paying a layout person now. Now you think it. <laughs> now we're cooking with gas. Yeah. But no, I mean, I, but that's, I have a, I have a very strange skill set. Uh, and so I try to use that as if, if I'm one of the weird things that I've noticed with creative work is if you're able to do a couple of things, but you don't do <laughs> like something gets missing when I'm not, when I don't have my hands in certain, in everything, I, I just, I need to have my hands in everything. And I, I think it, it, I think it can be annoying to the people I work with sometimes, but I also think it makes for a very coherent feeling project like i feel like my books feel coherent in a way because i've had my i've literally had my hands or my digital hands on every single page yeah that makes sense hey so (laughs) regarding cover design have you have you read ann patchett's new book of essays these precious days by any chance no i i really like her and i she's she wrote a fantastic essay about writing in her story of a marriage book Mm, that I really loved, but I don't know these precious days. Tell me about it. Well, there's this essay. It's a book of essays and in it, it, she writes this whole, this whole essay or story or whatever about her experience, her evolving experience and understanding of cover design and how, when she first started, like she hated her in retrospect, she hates the book covers because she didn't realize she had the ability to, have a say on it have and she say, would feel like yeah. the books the, someone would design the cover and it wouldn't it didn't feel like it was a cohesive it was cohesive yeah. with what was between the covers yes and, and how it took her a while to kind of discover that she could have a say in that and, and how to approach yeah. that and how to navigate the, the creative process with people who are you know not 
not in between the pages. So can I tell you a story about yeah. the cover of Steel Like an Artist? So um, when I when we were talking about... So the, the design of Steel Like an Artist um, was a interesting problem. And the person who really came up... You know, now the square format's very iconic, I feel like, the little yeah. square book. Yeah. Um, that was actually my editor, Bruce Tracy. And it's really funny how it happened. He said... He said, well, you know, when we were talking about trim size, he was like, well, you know, your slides, because Steel Like an Artist started as a talk and a slideshow. He said, well, your slides are are like uh, landscape format and books are usually portrait format. So what about square? And (laughs) so I said, great. Yeah, that sounds (laughs) awesome. But that's like, you know, sometimes people, things feel inevitable when they're finished. And the thing I always like to tell people is like, you don't know how arbitrary some of the decisions are that then become signature things later on. Like the decision to make it a square book was a brilliant idea, but it it just was like, yeah, that sounds good. And then we made it square. Um, So I always try to like, but I also really believe in like getting constraints in line right away like yeah these are my limitations this is my form yeah exactly like i always you know i hate pub i i hate the process of publishing because what i'm supposed to do as a writer is i'm supposed to write a book proposal for a book that doesn't exist yet and Mm -hmm. i give it to my agent and then he sells it to a publisher and gets as much money from them as they can as they can and then i'm supposed to go and like write a manuscript and then illustrate it and then design it and, you know, by the time that's all done, it's like, well, you could have told me how many pages you needed and what trim size it was going to be. And I could have done it already. Like I could have made yeah. the book because that's the kind of, that's the kind of thinker and, and artist I am. If I have a yeah. container, I can fill it with something, you know, but yeah. the, the story about steel, like an artist, it's really funny book cover wise. Uh, that wasn't it. Um, <laughs> the square part <laughs> wasn't it. <laughs> yeah. So, so what I did is after we decided it was going to be six by six, I went and found a book that had that trim size. And the book that I found was actually a cartoonist a hero of mine, uh, James Kuchalka. It was his book oh, called okay. the cute, the cute manifesto was the name of the book. And so I literally, do you remember in school where you take a a paper bag and fold it over and make a cover for your textbook? Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. (laughs) Like at school? Yeah. So I did that essentially with, I I drew what I thought the cover should look like. um, And I wanted it to almost feel like an, I'm a, I'm a, like sort of a wannabe musician, failed musician, I don't closet musician, whatever you want to call it. Um, I wanted it to feel like a, a, cause it was square. I was like, Oh, this is like a CD or something. So I did a cover that just had steel, like an artist and my name on the front. And then on the back, it just had a tracklet. It looked like a track list and it was all oh, yeah. black. And I printed that out and I covered this James Kuchalka book with it. And then when I flew up to New York to meet my editor, Bruce, for the first time, I gave it to him and I said, so this is what I'm kind of thinking for the cover. And I was sort of sheepish about it. Like, so this is what I'm kind of thinking, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because I, I had put out a book I before this, this but this was my second book and I wasn't real sure, you know, whatever. 
And he's like, he looked at it very, and he was like, can I keep this? And I was like, well, sure. Yeah, go ahead. You know? So the story goes that when they had the cover meeting at Workman, the late, great Peter Workman, who's the head of the company, of course, came in and they had all these, they had all these covers that the designers had attempted. And then they had the little dummy book, which I figured out later I had made a dummy book, which is an actual thing. <laughs> uh, and, and so it, Peter Workman pointed to my dummy book and said that one. And so that's how the cover, hmm. that was just me. Like, I think it should look like this. And then it's like, okay. So it's, I think the one, the really cool thing about steel, like an artist is there's a, chapter in Steel Like an Artist says, don't wait until you know who you are to get started. It's very much about just making work and in the making of the work, the thing will sort itself out. And the bizarre thing about Mm -hmm. the book is that it's a very meta book and that it was made using the very techniques that it espouses. (laughs) You know, it's a very handmade thing. It was done very quickly. It's a cobbling together of a lot of different ideas that I took from different people, you know, so it's Mm -hmm. very much flies under its own principles. Well, you just mentioned you took these ideas from a lot of different people. So this would be a great time to yeah. ask not 10 years later, <laughs> what are the books that you, that you think that have, that you, that you, that inspired that book that have most stayed with you over the next 10 years? So are there a couple of titles oh, yeah. that like okay. most you love yeah. them then and you, and even now they've, they've inspired you or made you who you are in an even deeper way since then? Well, I think I have to say that Linda Berry's What It Is creatively has always been, Linda's always been kind of my North Star as far as creative work and how art is made. And I admired her then and I admire her even now, even more now. Um, I feel like she's my great mentor from afar, whether she's like that or not, (laughs) you know, so, so there's, there's Linda. Um, There's a book by Lewis Hyde called The Gift. That was oh, yeah. really influential on me early on. Um, I think it's been influential on a lot of artists. Um, yeah. This idea that your gifts are awoken by the gifts of others, and then that your work is to pass that gift on in your mm-hmm. own work. So that's always been... Um, this might be out of left field for people, but Scott McCloud's understanding comics. Um, oh, yeah. I just always felt like that was such a brilliant use of you're explaining a medium using the medium. I just, I think that book is incredible and I think he's incredible. Um, so yeah, comics have always, but, um, gosh, what, what else in there? Um, style wise, there were a couple of books that really inspired steel. Like an artist. There's a, my friend, Mike Rohde did the illustrations for this book called rework by the 37. Oh, yeah. Guys. yeah. Yeah. I know that book. And yeah. I always liked the way that the black, the pure black looked on those pages. So I stole that. Um, there's a guy named Hugh McLeod, who's a friend of mine who did a book called ignore everybody, which was a, a numbered list of creative tips. People always point, Paul Arden's books out and they were sort of an influence, but not as much as you'd think they're very similar. They have big, bold headlines and they're very graphical. And I like those books, but that wasn't, it's one of those situations where it looks like those kinds of books, but it's, that wasn't a direct influence as much. If you were Um, doing the book now, like if you were writing it for the first time now, not the, yeah, not the 10th anniversary. Would, is there anything that you've discovered since then that you would add? Oh, in the, in, in steel. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can, I've always thought about if, 
you know, books of advice like this, where you have a position and you take it. I've always thought it'd be funny to do the complete opposite book where you like, <laughs> do like, like don't copy anyone kind of, <laughs> or yeah. be completely original or, um, but I think the, the major, the one thing I, I really came close to changing, but I just didn't want to mess with the book. There's a, there's a chapter in the book called be nice. The world is a small town and it's number eight. Since then the word nice has meant less to me and kind has replaced it. I think Mm. be kind is more interesting than be nice. Be nice is very Midwestern, which I am. (laughs) So it's very like, but it's more of a, what, of an ad it's it's less of a kindness i think is a real comes from a real place of caring whereas being nice is more about social mm, niceties yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, following and rules so and stuff that's yeah that's one i would change a lot i think the other i think the big thing that gets i think it's in the book but it just doesn't get translated as much is just that i i actually like original things like i I don't like, I like stuff that's new. Like I want stuff that's new. Like the whole point of the book is that you get to new and original ish thing you know, in the book, it says nothing's completely original. Well, yes, that's true, but some things are more original than others, of course. And so I think sometimes people think that I'm like immediately a fan of like, there was a while where anything that was remixed at all or like an homage or whatever people would send to me and be like, (laughs) yeah, I get it. Like to blurb or something. Yeah. I still don't like it. Or they, you know, just be like, Oh, here's someone mashed up this with this. And I'd be like, okay, so what? That's not really (laughs) mashups. Weren't what this is about. You're not supposed to even tell where stuff came from. So, you know, it's like, I think that's something that I would just try to like, maybe emphasize a little bit more is like, well, of course, originality is what we're, we're trying to put something new in the world in order to like raise everything. We're trying to like do something that hasn't been done to sort of, you know, push everything a little bit forward. Mm. Um, But I think that gets lost sometimes. Of course, sometimes people don't, you know, people remember the steel part and not the like an artist part, you know? Right. Yeah. So I'm not someone who likes, I don't like ripoffs. I don't like copycats. What I love is like people who are deep, deep students of what came before and they find yeah. a way to bring that stuff into their work and make it even better yeah. um, and do new stuff with it. You know, it's yeah. old, you know, they, they've got deep roots and they, grow new branches. Well, that makes me think of like, uh, seems like you're kind of known for your approach to like notebooks and journaling and all that kind of stuff. And like you, you clearly have created your own approach to that, but you're also were inspired by, you know, Thoreau or, you know, these other people who were journalers and yeah, had all had their own system. Was it, it was it Emerson that had this like, or was it that crazy yeah. indexing <laughs> system for his writing? Yeah. I wish I had a good one. <laughs> Those guys came late to me too. Like I really only started reading Thoreau in like 2017 or something. So not that like five years ago. Yeah. Uh, I have always considered myself an indoors person. <laughs> um, and so Thoreau just, culturally i couldn't get my head around him because it seemed like thoreau was for guys who wanted to 
move out to the woods yeah. and like build a cabin and, and be like grizzly man or what, you know, whatever it <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah. Loners um, and all that. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of like Jessica Crispin wrote a piece not too long ago about whether you should fault artists for their fan boys, basically so like Nirvana or Rage Against the Machine or something like in the 90s. Yeah. There were all these great rock bands that had these very subversive messages that bros sort of latched onto, and like <laughs> frat boys started showing up yeah. at the shows and stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel that way about Thoreau. I feel like Thoreau has this very like very nuanced, subtle message in his work that just gets like misread mm. in this very strange way. And he doesn't really help himself. For one thing, I'm not a huge <laughs> fan of the actual books. I love the journal. That's my favorite oh, thing yeah. about Thoreau. Yeah, yeah. I don't actually like Walden that much at all. Um, I really like the journals. And what I learned from Thoreau is just like, one, you don't have to go anywhere. Like the dude literally, and this is what, you know, people use this to, to like skewer him all the time. Oh, well, he was like a mile away from his house, like living on Walden Pond. And I'm like, no, but that's the great message of, of his work too, is like, yeah. you don't have to go very far to be in nature and like, experience these things like yeah. it's in your backyard i think that's what like annie dillard picked up for tinker creek is yeah. it's like yeah you can go to the weird spot outside of your like totally normal suburban neighborhood and like find all this stuff so to me it's like you don't have to leave the house to discover the universe and the other thing from Thoreau is it's like take lo take long walks and come back and write about what you thought about on your walk. Hmm. And like to me, that's these are just messages that I think have so inspired. So long walks without phones. Yeah, I think so, probably. Um, although I think that if Thoreau had a phone, I mean, who knows what he would do? I mean, Jenny O'Dell's book is really. Pictures. Yeah, I think Jenny O'Dell's How to Do Nothing is very yeah. good on this. The way that she's able to talk about how you can use technology in a way that actually, you know, stuff like iNaturalist, you can use to actually interact with your local world more. Yeah, yeah. And so, but Thoreau is just one of those guys that he's just so hated by a certain subsect of people. And they use the same dumb arguments over and over again. Like his mom did his laundry and like over and over again. It's like, just read the stuff, like read the stuff. Yeah. Stop thinking about what Catherine Schultz wrote 10 years ago uh, or what so-and-so said about whatever and just read the work if you're interested. Yeah. But I think we live in a time now where, um, you know, my friend Alan Jacobs, he talks oh, about how him. we're... Yeah, so I, it's funny because I'm looking at his book right now. I'm like, oh, yeah, because I just dead, saw yeah. him. Yeah, oh, cool. I just saw him and and his idea of intellectual triage that there's so much stuff now to care about in the world that people are constantly looking for things that they can just get rid of. So whenever you're told that someone's a phony or a fake or really bad, you can just be like, Oh great. I won't read that. And like, won't bother, you know? <laughs> right, so it's yeah, like, yeah. so some of these guys and they're particular, like it, it, they tend to be guys like Thoreau. Um, yeah, most yeah, recently, yeah. like Kerouac was a really interesting example. Kerouac, somebody who really went off the deep end towards the end of his life and was arguably racist and all this, you know, different stuff. But if you go back to on the road, 
yeah. and you read on the road, it obviously has this power that's inspired like countless generations at this point. So yeah. there's something to it, you know? Mm. And like Thoreau's really interesting because it's like, well, there's this guy named Gandhi that was very inspired by Thoreau and this woman named Virginia <laughs> Woolf, you know? Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's like all this stuff, but we just get this. This is what I'm really interested in with books is that the text the text should speak for itself, but it does like the world around the text is what brings it to your attention or mm. not. Right. What gets you to like pick up the book, but the, the book doesn't change essentially, mm. you know, like the, the text doesn't change. It's the people around the text that change. And that's true of what the popular opinion is of the text. But it's also like, if you reread a book over your life, which I try to do, you change. And so the book changes, you know, like if you read the road before you become a father, it's one thing. And if you read (laughs) the road after you become a father, it's another thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so what are some of the books that you, that you try to reread or that you've just found yourself rereading? Might might not be like purposeful. There might not be a strategy. Oh, uh, that's a great question. Well, I reread Linda's stuff. Mm-hmm. I've already mentioned her. I, Vonnegut, I like to reread because every time I get in touch with Vonnegut, he excites me the way I was excited when I was like in my early 20s. Oh, yeah. And I discovered his work and yeah. the sense of like what you could do and the fun you could have and how you could, you could, that's another guy that seems kind of passe now. Like, Oh, well, everybody likes Vonnegut, especially if you're yeah. a young white guy, like whatever. But it's like, <laughs> there's this energy to Vonnegut. Vonnegut does things for me. He, he makes me think about the possibilities of, of that stuff. Mm. I love rereading peanuts. So the oh, yeah. comic strip by Charles Schultz yeah. peanuts keeps getting new layers as I get older, because Schultz is really good at writing about like school and kids. You can Mm. tell that he's very inspired in the seventies by his own children um, and what they're going through and that kind of thing. And peanuts to me is the great American novel of the (laughs) second half of the 20th century. I mean, it's 50 years of the fact that there was a cartoonist that every day for 50 years made a strip. I think it's still one of the most, for all the, you know, gigantic cultural impact it's had. I still think it's underrated as a, mm. as a work. Um, and it's it, darker and more terrifying than you think it is. I mean, it is bleak. Like peanuts can yeah, be really, yeah. really bleak. It's interesting. Cause we have at our shop, <clears throat> we don't have the, a huge comic book section yet. We're still working mm-hmm. on that and have space limitations and stuff, but like, yeah, we sell, peanuts and Calvin and Hobbes like crazy. And you know, kids will come in and they'll look at them and it's not like their parents are like, I loved these when I was a kid. Sometimes that happens, but a lot of times the kids just wander over and when they're, they'll be looking at amulet or like Zeta, the space girl. And then next thing you know, they're also reading peanuts and Calvin and Hobbes and they're looking through 13 volumes of those, of both those books. Right. Or this one kid, he's had an eight. He bought a, he convinced his mom to buy like a hardcover, two volumes, like the whole peanut set. Oh yeah. yeah. So excited. And his his mom was, you know, like enjoy yourself. Yeah. The one, something I do for my kids is they make those page a day calendars. And my kids love to read those at breakfast. Yeah. So I, nor I often buy like a peanuts page a day or a Garfield page. They love Garfield, but I, a mea culpa like i used to look at <laughs> golf here. calvin and hobbes is a great example of 
reread if you have if you loved calvin and hobbes when you were a kid reread calvin and hobbes because if you read it as an adult it's his parents you i mean when i read calvin and hobbes now it's like it's the parents i i identify with (laughs) yeah like it's so weird i'm like wait a minute these parents are actually kind of nice and hip and they're just dealing with this kid that's you know this outrageous this kid is yeah. just this energy this fireball of of energy you know so yeah. yeah i i think it's you know as we're talking it is really funny how much like you just i i cannot uh de-emphasize enough like how much comics and studying the form of comics like how much that still like inspires me the idea of you know, pictures are worth a thousand words, maybe, and words are worth a lot too, but it's something about the magical combination of them. Uh, the picture writing that happens in comics. That's something Mm. I really believe deeply in. What are some comics that you've discovered as an adult that you really like, or maybe you've discovered alongside your kids? Uh, Tove Janssen's Moomin, I think are the Moomin comics are a lot of people say that the novels are better. And I, can't argue that for sure, but her original strip of the Moomins, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they, they are a uh, reputation, but I haven't read them. Right. So, so it's, it's a port. What the Moomins are is it's a portrait of a loving family of weirdos where everyone's allowed to be a weirdo. And in my house, that has a deep, deep uh, meaning and is such a great, mm. it's, it's just been really influential on mm. me. So Tove Janssen's movement strips are, I think are for me, that was a huge thing. Um, most recently, uh, let's think of other comics. Um, I've tried to get into like fantastic four and stuff. Like I miss some of the superhero stuff. I think Jack Kirby's really interesting. I'm trying to like, I'm really interested in his collage work. So I'm trying to like, but that's very hard to get your head around. Like there's so much work. It's very hard to dip into. So that's kind of like a side project of mine. I have, um, Mm. I think there are more great card. I mean, like I love Leanna Fink's work for the New Yorker. I think her new book coming out, like a retelling of Genesis is going to be really brilliant, especially because I think, um, our crumbs Genesis, I think is one of the most underrated, pieces of art in the past i don't know 15 years or so it's not very fun to read and i think that's the point i think r crumb is able to illustrate what a brutal and terrifying book genesis really is (laughs) which is why i think as an art piece i'm really inspired by as a reading experience it's really rough but liana has this new book coming out that looks very interesting she's she's great um i love uh there's a Kristen radke is doing really interesting things with the graphic novel form. You know, like her stuff is like a graphic novel. It's not, it's not even comics by any kind of like traditional sense and like panels and, and gutters and things happening in time. She's almost doing like illustrated essays that I think are just, I think her last two books, I mean, she's two for two. She's really, she's one to watch. Right. CQ is the most recent one, which I think is a masterpiece. I really like that one. Her other one is called um, Imagine Wanting Only This, which is also very good. But CQ is fantastic. And I love that one. Um, 
but those are, yeah, I guess that'll probably cover it. I'm sure I'm missing like a bunch of other stuff. You, you've but, mentioned um, <laughs> your kids a couple times. And yeah. be- before I let you go, I'd love to know, like, what do you love to read in your family? Like, what are some of the books, your go-tos, whether they're re- comics or otherwise, but, you know, with the read-alouds that, you know, I don't know how old your kids are, but maybe if, if you've read them to the older kids, you've got to read them to the younger kids too type scenario. So my kids are nine and seven now. And so most of the reading that they do is on their own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we were growing up, my absolute favorite books to read to kids are James Marshall, um, the Georgia Martha books. I think those books are incredible. And if you read like John Classen or Mac Barnett or any of those guys, they're super influenced by James Marshall. A lot of people don't know James Marshall now. He's kind of like fallen a little bit out of style, I think, but I think the George and Martha books are just masterpieces. They're very much in line with like frog and toad. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Like Arnold Lobel stuff, which are also really fun to read. Um, So we read those books a lot, George and Martha, Arnold Lobel, frog and toad. We did love John. I love John Classen's uh, hat trilogy. Like, uh, I lost my hat. We found a hat. (laughs) This is not my hat. I love those books. Um, now my, I mean, what's incredible is that there are so many great comics. Um, now my, my kids like the popular stuff that everybody else likes. Like they love dog man and captain underpants. And (laughs) like, I've given Dav Pilkey more of my money than like (laughs) any, um, probably any other author. Um, they love, like they're getting into diary of a wimpy kid. Yeah. Uh, Big Nate, I think, is incredibly dated and really cringy uh, now. I mean, personally, but like they really like like that. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So I'm trying to figure out like how to like bring some more like voices. It's it's a balance, especially when you have like uh, you, you know, it's a balance of trying to bring in more diverse stuff. while also feeding their love of reading. Um, uh, Honestly, my oldest son has always loved nonfiction. So he'll like, I mean, he'll read like the history of video games. He'll, he'll read these big thick. I'll get these and I get them from the, he loves his little e-reader. We bought him an e-reader that doesn't connect to the internet. I just have to put stuff on there. Oh, yeah. um, manually and so he'll just yeah, read smart. these like yeah he'll read these like big histories of like video games and stuff that's cool yeah nice. he's weird my my <laughs> he's weird we're all weird here and then my my seven year six yeah seven year old he reads like here he's all kind he's very goth he loved edward gory at a really early age and so talk, he loves talk about it. You know, his, there's his books. So that guy also did cover design and. Oh yeah. Edward Gorey is a big hero around here. And like everyone's, we even have the Edward Gorey biography yeah. <laughs> that he flips through sometimes. So yeah. But I, every parent I'm like, get the George and Martha books, man. They are cool. still incredible. That's my favorite. That's a great wreck. <laughs> you, do you, have you seen the Edward Gorey uh, book? That's just his on him by his book cover design and his New Yorker covers. I don't I think know that I have that. It's I sweet. To, it's is cool. it new? I think it's a couple years old, but it's like, his, it's really beautiful. His design for Double Day is like unbelievable. Like yeah. I have a book in the other room that's like his War of the Worlds cover. Yeah. And yeah. I, there, I have a, uh, one of the things I like to do at Halloween is I like to read spooky short stories before yeah. bed every yeah, yeah. night. So yeah. I have all these um, 
like collections of ghost stories and stuff. And one of them he, he like edited and did the cover for. That's like one of my favorite books that I like, don't let the kids look. I don't let the kids look at anything that, that they can destroy. Like I'll find (laughs) another copy. Oh, that reminds me, Nancy, Ernie Bush Miller's Nancy. I love Nancy and my kids love Nancy. My seven-year-old will sit around and read Nancy. He loves it. Nancy is extremely much hipper. Oh, yeah, the one from like underrated. the 40s? Exactly, like the 40s yeah. and 50s. Ernie Bishmiller and Nancy. Uh, Fanographics put out a series. It's all out of print by now, unfortunately, because I don't think they sold super well. But if you can just get old collections of nancy strips we also play five card nancy which is something that scott mcleod and some cartoonists made up where you um (laughs) you you get nancy you you photocopy nancy strips and you cut up the panels and you you paste them on like a playing card and then you shuffle them and then you make random nancy strips with with the cards (laughs) (laughs) that's cool so that's something that we do around here we love nancy (laughs) all right last question before i let you get on with your day or you're playing the piano behind you or whatever you're gonna be doing um this is one of those annoying questions that i like to ask before i let people go okay good let's let's say and you said you're an indoors person yeah let's say you have i was okay okay you were yeah let's say you're outside it's 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 the it's the deserted island question. Oh, okay, yeah. And yeah. you're you have your Mount Rushmore of books that you have to that you can have with you. You can have four books with you. That's all you could fit in your parachute pack or whatever that you know you had with you when you were dropped onto this island. Um, what do you think those four books would be? Now, taking into account that this is right now, I'm asking you this question. It could change in two years. It could. It might have been different two years ago. Um, and it could also be different if you had people with you, but in this case, you're by yourself. For the sake of my hypothetical situation, I'm rambling now to give you a second longer to think. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, well, it's, it's an unfair my, question. The first thing I would do is I'd bring my American Heritage Dictionary. Okay. Um, I think paper dictionaries are hugely underrated as books that you should have in the house everyone says well, why don't you have a paper dictionary you can just look stuff up on your phone it's like well when you look things up in a dictionary first of all you run into all it's just like browsing a bookstore yeah, yeah you'll go yeah, looking for stuff, one yeah. book and then you'll run into all these other great books on the way to the other books so i would bring a paper dictionary with me this sounds really boring i'd probably bring a king james bible honestly because hmm. it's kind of like i mean there's a reason people read it. I mean, like it's sort of the, it's the foundation of a lot of stuff in literature. So I, I would probably bring a Bible and and then actually read it. (laughs) (laughs) But you have a lot of time on your hands. It's funny. I mean, I'm looking at this like Emily Dickinson collection thinking, well, that wouldn't be bad. Um, but um, I mean, is yeah, there like a I big bring, novel that you love bring, that you go back to or, well, I'm wondering if something like, I mean, so I'm going at this, like, this is all I get to read forever. Not like, oh, favorites you get to reread. I'm like, could you re... I would bring stuff where I could recreate Western civilization, right? (laughs) So, like, for me, it's like, I'd bring a dictionary, I'd bring the Bible, I might bring... um, Homer, Shakespeare? (laughs) Well, it's funny, I've got this book called The Assassin's Cloak, which most people don't know about, but it's a collection of people's diary entries, 
and it oh, spans wow. like I don't know this book. a lot of yeah it's very interesting it's out of print and that might be an interesting one to bring so i'm going to add that on my stack the assassin's cloak because i love and then i would you know what i'd bring one of my big peanuts collections i would because that's what i really or nancy i would bring a comic i would bring nancy or peanuts with That'd me be like your your joy you get a little joy That'd from be that my joy book yeah, yeah. but when, i might when, also yeah i think that's that'll cover it when the desperation and depression of being alone on this island sets in you can turn to uh nancy or, or peanuts or something exactly exactly to get you so, back to being yeah. feeling creative <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but i i mean thoreau's journal the the abridged Thoreau's journal that um, New York review of books that that might be pretty high up there. I think that's a bridge, but yet it's still a pretty big book. It's still pretty thick, <laughs> but it's a nice like paperback reader addiction. Yeah. And reader yeah. addiction. I like that edition versus addiction. That's <laughs> I'm going to save that. That's good. <laughs> Something to use later. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, Hey, listen, I had a great time talking to you and I really appreciate the time. Congratulations on, on the 10th anniversary of steel. Like an artist. We had it uh, this last weekend. We had this big art walk in our town and it's one of the busiest cool. days of the spring. And we were really busy in the store and I had it front and center and like, it's gone, but everybody, they, they bought them all. So I've got another Fantastic. shipment coming, but it's, a, I was thinking this is such a, it's an art walk. So you have people who are interested in art and pottery yeah. and all these kind of things. And they're coming in on the streets and those are the, you know, like I wasn't surprised they the Perfect. front table, they snapped them up. So, Oh, I'm so, it's fun too. It's a good time for it to be in book. It's a great time for it to be out because it's it's a book that you want to hold in your hands. And so the yeah. fact that people are going back in person, yeah. uh, I think it's a really good time. Well, yeah. thank you so much for stocking it. And I love I love your part of the country. So I'm hoping I get to visit the uh hopefully awesome. I'm getting get to visit the shop sooner that'd be, than later. That'd be awesome. <laughs> gonna get you to do a signing or something, sign some books. I would love that. I would love that. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on the podcast and talking about books and creativity and all that. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, that was Austin Cleon. Thanks to him for coming on the podcast. And don't forget that the recent 10th anniversary edition of Steal Like an Artist is available wherever books are sold. And it's in a really beautiful, updated new format. Please do order from your local bookshop. But if you'd like to order from ours, you can head to bookshop.org slash shop slash Goldberry Books. This has been Bibliography. I'm David Kern, and thanks so much for checking out our show. Hope you discovered a great new book to check out. Until next time, happy reading.